What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita, here on Columbus Day, October 10th, 2022. By the way, happy birthday to my sister. Uh, well, I'll be seeing her shortly, but I want to give a little birthday shout out to Laura Vita, uh, who's been on this show several times. So happy birthday, Laura. And today we are doing some more baseball analysis. Greetings to everyone who's joining us right now live on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you guys like what you hear today, make sure you subscribe to the Jack Vita Show and check out our work over at Fastball on sportsillustrated.com slash fan nation uh, or just Google SI Fastball. I'm doing a lot of baseball writing these playoffs. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And today we're going to recap what we saw over the weekend, the first ever American League, National League wild card series in the new format. We saw it a couple years ago, but now it's here to stay. And we are also going to preview the National League and American League division series that begin Tuesday. Uh, big day, big slate of games tomorrow. Four games. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've got someone who I'm very excited to talk to today. Uh, I've been listening to his podcast for years. Um, for those who don't know about what he does, he's got a very awesome podcast, the Sports Spectrum Podcast. He's the director of media over at Sports Spectrum, which is a magazine that I grew up reading. when I, I think I started getting it when I was nine years old. Um, it's an awesome magazine com combining sports and faith. Um, so I'm a big fan of what they do over there. And before that, he worked at ESPN off camera for what, 15 years? 17. 17, 17 years. Wow. Uh, Jason Romano, welcome to the Jack Vita Show. Yeah. Hey, Jack. Good to see you, buddy. Good to talk to you. Uh, and it's baseball playoff time. Like, this doesn't get any better than that. Oh, it's great. And Jason... I just want so for, so for people to know a little bit about your background, I, I got a fun question for you at ESPN. Working off camera, yeah. I know you worked on Mike and Mike, and you may have worked on some other shows as well. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular person that came into Bristol in the studio that you had a funny or memorable exchange with when they were going to be a guest on one of your shows? I don't know about funny or memorable. I mean, I got to meet my heroes. I got to meet Emmett Smith. I got to meet Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. Like I'm a Mets fan and a Cowboys fan since I was a little kid. So I got to meet my heroes and those are just the most memorable days of all. Uh, I will say this. It wasn't really a guest that came in, but I do remember this is a football um, connection, I guess, more than baseball, but it was, you know, a Sunday afternoon for about, how long did I did this? Eight years that I got to sit in what was called the war room at ESPN and watch NFL games with all of our NFL analysts, all the on-air talent. You know, anybody who was working at ESPN on the NFL at that time was pretty much in that room. And I was the same. I was doing a, a booking uh, for NFL talent for a long time. And then and I this was the Sunday NFL primetime era, right? Yeah. Oh, this was after that. This was oh, okay. um, Sunday NFL countdown. I'll give you the names. It was Chris Berman and Tom Jackson and Keyshawn Johnson and Chris Carter. Uh, Matthew Barry was in that room. Uh, Field Yates would be in that room. Chris Mortensen was in that room. Adam Schefter. So those guys are, were all in this room at that time. And, and they still, I think, have the war room there. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it's still there. So I remember my first year was 2008 in this war room. And they have a, you know, giant amounts of TVs you know, on the screen that you're watching. And there's like, you know, eight, nine, 10 games at one time, if it's the one o'clock Eastern games. 
So we're all watching the games, and there was a moment where it was week one, I think, or week two, and Roddy White of the Atlanta Falcons was was playing pretty good football at that time. Uh, that was Matt Ryan's rookie year. Uh, they they had a really good that was team. 08. 08, before Julio Jones came in. And Roddy White was pretty much in a 1,000-yard receiver for about five or six years straight there. He was really good. And there was a moment where Roddy had a game, and I can't remember which week it was. It had to be early in the season. And I just, you know, guys would blurt things out in this room that he's this or that guy's that. And it's usually the talent and occasionally a producer or two. And I don't know where I thought my place was at that time, but I just blurted it out. You know, it's clear Roddy White's a top five receiver in the NFL, right, guys? And I don't know why I said that. You know, maybe <laughs> I just need to learn to tame the tongue a little bit and keep my mouth shut. But I said it. And Chris Carter is literally sitting right in front of me. <laughs> and I was sitting next to, I remember who I was sitting next to, Keisha, or uh, uh, who was it? Cordell Stewart and Jamal Anderson, former NFL players, were sitting right next to me. And Chris Carter is right in front of me. And Chris Carter turns around and looks at me. And he goes, top five, huh? I said, yeah, isn't he a top five? I mean, you're you're one of the top five receivers of all time, Chris. Don't you think he's one of the top five receivers in the game? And I don't know why Chris Carter said it like this, because we actually had a really cordial, good, friendly relationship over the next, I don't know, five, six years. But this is maybe my baptism by fire, being indoctrinated <laughs> into this room. He goes, well, let me ask you a question. I, he goes, uh, have you ever played in the NFL? <laughs> and I said, no, sir, I have not. It was probably that way, too. No, sir, I have not. He goes, all right, then. And that was it. <laughs> so he didn't even disagree, although he was disagreeing with me. I don't think he saw Roddy as a top five talent at that time. I mean, Calvin Johnson was still in the league and many other receivers. So Roddy was probably not top five. It was just something I blurted out. But Chris Carter just basically looked at me and said, all right, then, you know, knowing that that was not my place to say that. Now, listen, that became a running joke throughout the rest of the year. And Roddy, I think, had a really good year. I think he went to the Pro Bowl. And I spent the next, whatever it was, seven or eight years in that room with Chris Carter. So we became buddies and friends and, and very cordial. And, uh, you know, I think I earned my way into being allowed to have an opinion on the talent level of these players. But that was a really hard thing to earn because I did not play. And so when you have Hall of Famers that are sitting in this room and guys like Keyshawn uh, Johnson and, and Cordell Stewart and those guys, you know, I'm just a guy who loves football, loves sports and grew up watching it, but I never played it. So I'm not seeing the game as these guys are seeing it. And it really reminded myself, I can have my own sort of sports water cool opinion, but I would rather hear what their opinion is because these guys played and watched, and they watched the game differently than I ever watched it. They saw plays happening when we would watch games on Sunday. And I said, how do they even know that? And it's because they see formations and they see coverages and they see things that I just don't see as a, as a pretty big football fan, but not in the way that those guys who played were. Um, thankfully, again, Chris and I became very cordial and we had a lot of fun in that room. But that was a it was like a teacher, you know, being stern and firm that first day. And then the rest of the year, that teacher is great. But that first day, oh, so I love Chris, though. He's, he's my guy, and I'll always be a Chris Carter fan and supporter. 
Well, what a way to transition to two guys who never played Major League Baseball talking about right, Major League go. Baseball for an hour. <laughs> hopefully, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, Albert Pujols isn't looking around and saying, guys, did you ever play? All right. <laughs> hopefully, he doesn't do that. So, <laughs> Man, we'll you see. mentioned Pujols. Well, that's a good place to start, I guess. I went yeah. three and one on my my picks coming into, for those who listened to our wild card preview last week, three and one yeah. did pretty okay. The one that shocked me, actually, no, I guess I went two and two, both of the NL wrong. That's right. Yeah. So two and two, this one shocked me the most. I could not believe what I saw out of St. Louis, especially on Friday. And I think that carried over into Saturday. Um, yeah. And I just could not believe that this was the way that Pujols' career came to a close. It felt like this was building up for this perfect storybook season, like the Ray Lewis season where the Ravens won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was um, it was tough to watch. I mean, first of all, I don't think a lot of people expected much from Albert Pujols when he signed with the Cardinals in the beginning of the year either way. I mean, the idea that he would actually hit 700 homers, I don't think that was on anybody's radar. It was like, Maybe if he stays healthy and yeah. gets enough of bats, he might get close to that number. But then he just went on a tear in the second half of the season once the summer kicked off and the Cardinals, you know, went on a pretty good run to, in essence, run away with the Central. And yeah. Milwaukee was there and they were battling back and forth for a while. And now Milwaukee didn't even make the playoffs and the Cardinals ran away with it. And it was a great storybook finish to the regular season. I think everybody was so focused on him reaching that milestone of 700, every at-bat, even after he hit 700, everybody was standing and cheering. I mean, you appreciated greatness. And you saw, this is a guy, I think he's certainly in the last 50 years the greatest right-handed hitter we've ever seen. He might be the greatest ever. Um, it's hard for me to put him ahead of like DiMaggio and Willie Mays because I didn't see those guys play. Right. But Pujols... Did it for so long. He did have, you know, he kind of tailed off a little bit, but he was still so extremely dangerous against left-handed pitching. And I loved what he was about. So, I mean, I am so glad that the fans got a chance to, and even in that last game when they were losing by quite a bit and you could tell that the Cardinals weren't going to come back on the Phillies on Saturday, they were still cheering for him. He still got a base hit in his last at bat. And I, I'm okay with it. I mean, certainly... Everybody has to, you know, hope for a storybook finish of winning a World Series, but only one team gets to do that. And I think we've seen now, especially if you watch sports in the same time frame that I have, it's so incredibly difficult to win a championship in any sport. I think it's harder to do in basketball and harder to do in baseball because it's a long, long series and you got to go. I mean, that's why I think. In baseball and in basketball, more baseball, I think, anybody can beat anybody when you get to the postseason. Basketball, I think that the top teams usually don't lose early on those upsets. It's when the team it starts to level out. But in baseball, I mean, look what we just saw. Yeah. You know, the Padres won 89 games, the Mets won 101 games, and the Padres look like the better team in two and a half of those three games. Um it comes down to pitching and defense and execution and all that, timely hitting, taking advantage of the other team's mistakes. And, and when I look at Pujols and the Cardinals, that's what happened. I, I still think the Cardinals are a better team than the Phillies. 
the Phillies had two pitchers who pitched really, really well. They're two starters. They're two top-heavy starters. And and they had the timely hits when they needed to get them. That first game, Jack, was about as shocking as any game I've watched in a long time. Oh, yeah. But it was only 2 nothing. So it was shocking, but it wasn't like they came back the way Seattle did in game two against Toronto. So the Cardinals losing that game, it it was surprising because it was a game one at home and they were pretty much in command. Fans were behind them. But look at what the Phillies did in that last inning. A couple dinks and dunks, walk, hit by pitch, timely hitting balls to the right spot. It wasn't any really crazy hard hits. Even the Segura hit that gave them, I think it gave them lead or tied the game. That's a hit was kind of like he was reaching out, low pitch away, up the middle, got it in the right spot. That's baseball. Like if he hits it just a little bit to the right, it's probably an out or maybe even a double play. He hits it up the middle and it's, a, it's I mean, it's literally they work so hard, but it really is. I don't want to call it luck, but it's it's a game of inches on every single level. Right. That's why I love the postseason. And I think it magnifies itself even more. I mean, the best teams throughout the regular season usually – sustain that other than the Braves who just went on a crazy run since June 1st, but best teams usually sustain success for, I mean, in the playoffs, that all, that all goes out the window and you could have Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer starting for you and barely come out with a split in those two games. That's baseball. And I love it. Well, I think the thing for the reason why I was so shocked with the Cardinals game was the the manner in which they lost. It's a team that doesn't make mistakes. They don't walk guys. They don't hit guys by pitch. And if this can happen to the Cardinals, it can happen to anybody. They had three different plays. There was the ball that barely got past Tommy Edmond. Now that was like you said, that was a nice, you know, hit them where they ain't kind of play. But then they had two other plays where Paul Goldschmidt, gold glove, first baseman, fires home they don't get the out at home and then another one where it was ruled a hit but Arenado could have made a play on the other side of the infield and I think that was just the thing that was shocking to me to see that and then I think that you know it, it showed the pressure of going into an elimination game even though you're playing at home how quickly this series can shift I, I think that the Cardinals win in two if that doesn't happen on Friday I agree. I agree. And I think the Mets went into if the Mets could have won game yeah. one. Um, I mean, they they weren't even close in game one when you look at it or game three. But the game one is in a shortened series is immense. Even these division series games that we're going to preview, they're still only best three out of five. We're not yeah. in a seven game series yet. So the shortened series, I think, favors the team that isn't favored. Because if they can steal or snatch game one or even game two, when you're talking about winning a game at home or on the road, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on that other team to try and get it back to a game five at home. And even those game five at homes are never a guarantee. That's why the playoffs are great. It's actually why I really like the new wild card series format. Initially, I was like, man, this stinks. The Mets should be, you know, they're, they're the 101 wins, this and that. They should be playing in the, in the DS right away, right, as the top wild card against probably, I guess, it would have been the Dodgers if it was the old format. Yeah. Um, and he played the best out of five. But I I think what we saw this weekend, even though there were three sweeps, we saw like how quickly things can turn. And I was hoping for four series that went, 
you know, the full three games. But we saw how quickly things can change. I mean, if, if you watched, and a lot, I think a lot of people might have missed it because it was during college football yeah. on Saturday. But if you watched or saw any of that Blue Jays game and Seattle doing what they did, that was crazy. But again, if you look at what happened, right? How did they tie the game on a three-run double with two outs on a bloop? Where the shortstop and the, and the center fielder, I think it was Springer and um, and Bo Bichette, Bichette, yeah, were running into each other. Neither of them can get the ball. They both hit each other, and they're both down for the count for a minute. And then three runs score. It's baseball. That's why I love the. Po- I think baseball playoffs more than anything, for me, are my favorite. Uh, it doesn't matter who's in it. I'm watching it. And I wish my team was in it and still in it, the Mets, but they're not. But I will still watch every game because I just think every pitch matters. Every game matters, especially when you can get a game like you had on Saturday. And I was glued to this game, Jack. When you're watching Cleveland and they're going 15 innings and they're <laughs> battling and they finally come away. And I thought Toronto – or not Toronto. um, uh, uh, Tampa. Tampa, thank you, did a great job on trying to extend that game. And again, it's nothing. I've never seen a nothing, nothing game go that long <laughs> in the playoffs, but then you have a home run and just was one pitch. Kluber made one kind of not even a bad pitch, but a, you know, a pitch they left over the plate home run game over series over. And it's why I'll watch. Give me a close baseball game more than any other playoff sport. And I'm in, I'm watching it. <laughs> I mean, I love the NFL and I love basketball too. And and if any of those games, and even hockey, you go to an overtime hockey game in the playoffs. Yeah, hockey, man. But baseball for me, there's just, I mean, that's my first love when I was a kid was the game of baseball, playing it, watching it, collecting baseball cards. So still to this day, I'm almost 50 years old. I'm glued. I'm glued. So you mentioned the Cleveland Tampa series, yeah. which couple of really good games, uh, two small market teams. I mean, and actually I'll, I'll mention something else that you had mentioned. Yeah. This schedule was not ideal because we had a lockout, so we had to get these games in whenever. And I had heard that they had hoped to get these games in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because then – Thursday, there was no, I don't think there was a single college football game on ESPN because they had blocked out that day for the wild card series way back earlier this year. Um, so then we ended up going up against college football. And then, unfortunately for me, being a baseball writer, I didn't get to watch as much college football as I normally yeah, do. Sure. Yeah. But hey, it was great. It felt like. Those first two days felt like the first two days of the NCAA tournament, which are my favorite days on the sports calendar. Uh, but we had two uh, mid-market, small-market teams that do things a little differently, uh, showing uh, <laughs> facing off in Cleveland. And I really like this Cleveland team. And we'll talk about them later. But, man, I, I got to give my uh, my best to I wanted someone who you actually – you worked with Arrestus Destrade, didn't you? Yes, he was around the office every so yes, often. Yes, he said actually, you're a great guy. I'm old enough to go back to remember watching Orestes Destrada when he was in the minor leagues and I was a high school teenager. It might have even been when I was like in grade school when he played with the Albany Colony Yankees, the double-A affiliate of the New York Yankees. This is probably 87, 86, yeah. something like that. And I watched Orestes Destrada play baseball in person. But yes, he was around, you know, the campus quite a bit. Great guy, and uh, he did a great job for us. 
Yeah, and oh, he does the Rays games now. He's been over there for 10 years now. And um, so he, he says hi to you. But nice. r- rough day for O. Uh, it didn't feel like it was the Rays season, but I really think this Cleveland team is dangerous. Cleveland's interesting. I, I worry about their offense because they're going up against a team that can score runs, uh, especially if they're all hitting well. And you got two of the most dangerous hitters in baseball right there with Stanton and Judge. So and in the Yankees and the mystique and all that. I think the Yankees can be had, though, if you can keep it close and you can get to their bullpen. Yeah. I worry about Cleveland's lack of offensive firepower outside of Ramirez. But the rest of their guys, I mean, they went 15 innings and didn't score a run. Right? And I'm not saying they, they can, they'll, they'll do that you know, against the Yankees. I think they'll score some runs. But they're going to have to get four to five runs to win these games, I think. And that concerns me. Uh, I think they can do it. Because I think they got the makeup. They got a great manager who's been there. And they got really a sort of unheralded talent that can produce. I think they got a good bullpen. I mean, if you watched what you saw in that 15-inning game, I mean, both the Rays and the Guardians have a great bullpen. Um, I think that could be the chance for Cleveland to steal this series against the Yankees. I still think I'm leaning Yankees, and we can go into predictions later. Yeah, we can, we can yeah. do it now. We're already touching yeah. on it. So I'm, I'm leaning Yankees just because home field, but I worry about their hitters outside of Judge and Stanton, and I worry a lot about their bullpen, um, which has shown, uh, I think, tremendous. I mean, and they don't even have a role just Chapman now. Yeah. Not that he was a key factor, but he was kind of a a good sixth or seventh inning guy that for them down the stretch. And now he's not even on the roster. So I'm concerned about the Yankees bullpen. They're going to have to score six or seven runs. I think maybe not five, four to five runs to win these games. I think they'll do it, but I have, I would not be surprised a, if Cleveland won, I don't think they will, but I think Cleveland will give them fits and It'll probably go four or five games. I think it might go the full five. We'll see. I actually, I'm going to take Cleveland in this series. I nice. think I think Cleveland wins this series in four games. Mm-hmm. And we touched on it a little bit. You know what? They didn't score a lot of runs in the in that game too. But every single four inning, they won, were, by the way, let's be honest. True. I mean, yes. only one game was it two to yeah. one. I think they won. Yep. So mm, yep. So that's true. However, it feels like every single inning they're threatening. Guys are getting on base. They put the ball in play a lot. They have the highest contact rate in the league. And that's a formula that I think it's a throwback. A lot They're zigging when a lot of teams are zagging. Everyone's favoring three true outcomes. And this is a good matchup. You got the team with, I think, the third highest payroll in baseball and the 28th highest, the third lowest payroll in baseball. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see here is everything you mentioned. This is a great defensive team. And the Yankees are a great defensive team, too, actually. They made yeah. a significant improvement from last year. Um, they have a great back end of their bullpen, Cleveland does. They're going to put the ball in play. And I'm concerned, you know, we saw a lot of this down the stretch of the season of teams pitching around Aaron Judge and making the rest of the Yankees lineup beat them. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where Aaron Boone slots Judge in the lineup because he had him batting leadoff yeah, to did. get him more at bats. Um, and then the Guardians take a traditional approach where they've got their big bat batting three and they get a couple guys who get on base a lot in front of him. So it'll be interesting because if they keep Judge up there, personally what I would do is I'd put Rizzo and LeMahieu in front of Judge 
because I, I value quality over quantity. I want my best hitter getting the most opportunities to score runs rather mm-hmm. than just most uh, at-bats, period. Um, but I also think another thing that weighs into this is how are these teams trending? So the Yankees weren't terrible in the month of September. In fact, they played better. But since the All-Star break, it looked like the Yankees team that we've seen in the past few years where they have a good regular season and they don't quite get it done in the postseason. And Cleveland has been, I think they're now winners of 25 of their last 31. So I like the momentum. I think they're going to win one of these games in New York, and I think they're going to finish the series in Cleveland. In I like four. it. I'm curious to see how Garrett Cole pitches in game one. You remember last year, he stunk up the joint. He was booed. <laughs> and, you know, there was a lot of talk about how he doesn't pitch well in these big, big moments. And I think he will he wants to have a good game, obviously. I'm fascinated to see if he'll throw well being at home because that Yankee Stadium fan base will turn on you in within two innings. If you if you get down four nothing in the first three innings or five to one, they'll start booing and you're done. Like you're just done. I think the psyche of a of a player can be really damaged that way. So I think I expect Garrett Cole to actually pitch really well. Um, I'm really curious to see how Cleveland does outside of that. And you're right on the judge factor. That's really fascinating to me because they were batting him leadoff. I just I think he'll go two or three. I may he may go Rizzo in front of Judge, but they might go Lemayhew, Judge. Rizzo, Stanton, just to mix it right, left, right. That's what they should do. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I think if those guys are, are are hitting the ball well, you know, they're not the guys that are moving runners over and, you know, you're hoping for a, you know, man on second, two out, line drive, base hit. Those are the guys that are literally end games for you um, with with the with the pop that they have. And the other guys on the on the roster, I know there's some good players, you know, down in the bottom of the Yankees lineup, but I don't think they scare anybody at this moment. Yeah. Um, But I'm not sure anybody in Cleveland scares the Yankees either because I don't think outside of Ramirez, Yankee fans could even name (laughs) two more starters in that lineup. I'm just saying because they're so (laughs) unknown in what they've kind of done this year under the radar. It'll be good. I I think if the Yankees win, it's great for sports because everybody either loves or hates the Yankees. I think if Cleveland gets there, they're they're the story of the postseason. If they can get to the ALCS somehow, coming from where they came from, going through the name change, uh, a lot of young young players, youngest team in baseball, I think I read. So yeah. it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens. I'll be watching it. I know that they're the prime time game. I think Tuesday night. Yeah, surprising because it's the Yankees. <laughs> I saw Bob Costas and Ron Darling are calling the game. Uh, I'm all in on that. Yeah. The legend and Darling is he's my guy as I watched a lot of the SMY broadcasts with the Mets. So should be good. All right. Very good, Jason. Let's talk about the other AL series from the weekend that we can move into our I guess we'll do our ALDS preview. Uh, so Seattle Mariners and by the way, three road dogs win one this yes. weekend. Right. Isn't that interesting? And the home the one home, you know, favorite, if you will, was Cleveland. And they didn't exactly wipe the floor like we right. mentioned for the last 10 minutes. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, I, I know everybody's on the Dodgers and everybody's on the Braves and everybody's on, you know, Yankees and Astros as the top four. But none of those, either of those four teams are vulnerable because it's short series in, in baseball. Anybody can be beaten. I really believe that. So I'm fascinated to see 
if that holds up in the division series like it did in the wild card series. I don't know if it will, but yeah. in a five-game series, those road teams have a really good shot at pulling off upsets, much more than I think in a seven-game series. Teams that have pitching depth are you need to have pitching depth in order to come out of this wild card series and go toe to toe with a team that's had a chance a week to line up their postseason uh, rotation. Seattle, we got to give them some love here for a second. They won their first playoff series since 2001. And by the way, Jason, this is funny to kind of mention. They won the, their first postseason series, first time they were in the playoffs since 2001. Yep. Albert Pujols' rookie year was 2001. Yes. I'm 28 years old. That was the first baseball season that I can remember, like <laughs> really knowing what was going on. And it kind of feels like now that Pujols is gone, my childhood is officially over. But <laughs> we also have the Seattle Mariners throwback. And you know what? I think what we said about that, what I said about that team coming in is, this is a team that's getting, I think they have a nice little emotional edge. I thought they had one over Toronto because it meant more to them. They're a team that's played extremely well in games against teams above 500. They're, I think they were like five or six games above 500 in games against teams with a record above 500. Yeah, that's and good. Julio Rodriguez is the type of young player who rises to the occasion in these big games and many of these other players did as well they're up for the challenge the thing i think that'll be really interesting as we talk about with houston you know three three of these games are division rivalries interdivision play the seattle mariners want to make the statement of hey this is our division for years to come this is the passing of the torch and a lot of people say we can't do it this year we want to arrive a year early we want to beat you guys and we're going to we're going to make a statement we're here to stay we're going to take that place where you have been that's what seattle thinks i'm not saying that's what i know they that's do. what they think um i i love uh what they're doing i mean they're an easy team to root for i love you know the post game celebration where they're getting a circle and start doing the you know yeah. live dancing or whatever that is um <laughs> i love the camaraderie that they have uh, i love the story rodriguez i think this is a series that he, you know, people start to take notice. I think the first time everybody saw him was, you know, at the home run derby. People were like, yeah, this guy on Seattle and he just kept breaking and he was having so much fun. And you're like, all right. I know for me, that's really where he kind of crept into my mindset as a baseball fan was that was there at the home run derby. And I was like, all right, maybe I got to start paying attention because Seattle, they're so far up in the Pacific Northwest. They're not on a lot of people's radar at all. I'm still guessing they're not on a lot of people's radar but this is a series where they can be on people's radars i think this is one that's houston's so good right they just dominated all year they had a great season second best record in baseball and um and were really the dominant team in the american league throughout the year there was a time when houston and the yankees were there the yankees faltered and had that struggle that swoon i think it was in august and houston just kept winning and you know, the Yankees won 97 or 98 games, and I think Houston won 106 or something. So they still won a ton of games. I got to go with Houston, but I think this is going to be maybe the best series of the four. I think it's going to go five. I think Houston – I think maybe all, all five games are determined by the home team winning because I think there's a legit home field advantage for both of these two teams. Um, I think Houston's fans are awesome. 
I really do. And I know they went through what they went through with all the the crap a couple years ago and, you know, the suspensions and the World Series and all that against the Dodgers. But all that stuff's gone and they're still winning 106 games. So they've they've been able to move forward and they have a lot of talent and a lot of great players. I think Houston's going to win. I'll pick Houston in five, but I think Seattle is going to play fantastic, especially at home. And that that crowd in Seattle is just craving for a home playoff game. And they're going to get it. I think they're going to get two, and I think they're going to win both. But I think Houston ultimately will win in game five. Now, I don't know if you know this, um, but Jack, the game fives in the DSs come right after game fours. So game four, if you're playing game four, let's say in Seattle, you're playing the next day in Houston. So if game four is being played in Philly, when the Braves and the Phillies play, they got to go to Atlanta the next day for game five. There's no travel day. And so I think that favors the home team more than the road team. Yeah. And uh, so I, I like Houston in this in five. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think I just think Houston's the best team in the American League. And stuff can happen. I think the best opportunity, kind of like what we're talking about, is if Seattle can come in with some momentum and steal a game early. You never know. Yeah. But they're going to have to do it against Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez. Those two guys were – I mean, I – I was working on my awards. I don't get a vote yet. I will, I'll get a vote someday, but Ooh, I was working. Absolutely. Uh, I was working on who that's some content I'm pushing out. So I'm going to do my top five AL Cy Young candidates. Houston had two of them this year. Framber Valdez gave his club, I think, 26 straight quality starts. Justin Verlander is going to win the Cy Young. And then they just have it's Houston. They do stuff better than everybody in the American League. So I am going to go with Houston, but I do think Seattle can push them. And I think in a situation where they can take a game early and play with a lead, kind of like what they did in Toronto, especially I think that's huge for just inspiring confidence in a young club. Yeah, I I think that's what you're looking at. You mentioned just Verlander. Let's just go back to him for a second. Yeah. Um, What he did this year was absolutely incredible. And I think he was already going to the Hall of Fame. This solidified the fact that he's a Hall of Famer this season and what he did because he's going to win another Cy Young Award. Um, I'm curious to see, because we just saw Scherzer and DeGrom, who are multi-Cy Young Award winners, kind of fizzle out in the playoffs. Now, I did start to see a little bit of that at the end of the year when they faced the Braves in a must-win series. They both did not look their best. DeGrom got roughed up against the A's yeah. um, the weekend before, which did not look good for him. Um, Scherzer had pitched decently well, but he, he battled some injuries. But when they got to the playoffs, both of them, I think DeGrom pitched well enough in game two. Scherzer did not look good in game one. His fastball was very flat. I don't think that Verlander is going to have that you know, same kind of uh, setback, if you will. But uh, he is 39 years old. And I'm curious to see if he can just be as dominant as he was in the regular season come postseason. I think he will. I'm not doubting him at all. But those age, not aging, but older veteran starters who pitched a lot of innings and had a lot of success in the regular season, you got to be able to do it in the postseason too. Verlander has, has done it in the past. 
but I, I, I it's my one little tiny, if you will, concern with him. Yeah. Just and I think it's fair. He spent some time on the IL last yep. month as well. He was out for two, three weeks. So yep. similar to Scherzer. Want to see him go five to six innings and, and give up one run, basically. He could give up two. But you know, I think with the Mets, it felt like if you give up two runs, you're not going to win because scoring was at a pre. You know, their lineup did not hit the way I think they hoped it would. Astros have a really potent lineup. I mean, it'd be hard to hard to keep them down to to less than three runs, and, and if they score three runs, they're probably going to win the game, knowing where Verlander is. So I like Verlander a lot. I, I like the rest of their team too, and their pitching and and. I, I think they're my pick to come out of the American League, which I think they are for a lot of people. Yeah, they got to be. Um, but they're my pick, and so I can't pick against them in this series. But I think this might be the toughest series for them. If they play Seattle here and beat them in five and get by Seattle, I think whether it's the Yankees or Cleveland, I think Houston can win a seven-game series in probably five, five or six at the most against either of those two teams because I think they have a lot of depth as well. Um so we'll see. It'll be fun. <laughs> it will be fun. Of course, the thing that makes it tougher for these teams is, you know, Seattle gave the ball to Luis Castillo in game one. He's probably yeah. only going to get one start in this series unless they want to give the ball to him on short rest. And No, get... see, I think they'll give him game two because there's an off day. Yes. So I think they'll get game two and they could get game five on short rest. Short rest, three days rest for Correct. game five. Yeah. Yeah, so it's possible. If if wouldn't you do that though? You know, if it's two two and you're going to your fifth game and it's in Houston and you got to have one game and your starter says, "Yeah, I pitched through eighty pitches three days ago. I can go." Yeah, I would with him you're especially you're going too. down with your best pitcher, right? Yeah. It depends. I kind of de kind of depends on who it is because I remember the Braves did that a few years ago in 2019. I can't remember if it was Mike Fultonavish or. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, I think they tried to use both those guys and it didn't end up working out. There was that game against the Cardinals where whichever guy started that game five on short rest just got shelled. Yeah. But I mean, Castillo is the guy I want. Maybe in of any pitcher in the American League, you say, I need one guy to win a game for me. It might be Castillo. So and I'll take um, Lander first, but Castillo is right behind him. He's right there. I know, <laughs> yeah. right? So. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. Hey, any thoughts on, because we teased it earlier, any other thoughts on that Saturday game too? Did you tune out at any point in that game or was it on the whole time? Which game are you talking about? The Seattle game, Seattle, Toronto. Oh, yeah. So, uh, here's exactly, I'll tell you exactly what I was doing. So I spent all day Saturday watching baseball. You know, the first game, the Cleveland game with the Rays dipped into about the fifth inning or fourth inning of the Toronto game. And Toronto, I think I got to look up the stat here. Look at the, the box score. I think I have it right here. Toronto was up two, three, four, four nothing going into the fifth. And it was four one. Then it was eight one. And when the eight one took place in the fifth inning, when Toronto went up that by that much, first of all, you should never blow a seven run lead in them in any baseball game, much less a playoff game. But once that happened, I was headed to church on a Saturday night service because on Sunday I was out. Um, I went to the Patriots game yesterday, so I wasn't going to be able to attend church. So I had a Saturday night service and I went to church. So I'm, you know, doing my normal thing at church and, you know, worship and then listening to the sermon. And all of a sudden my watch is updating these games and giving me alerts. And it said, okay, now suddenly, you know, you're watching the game and it goes from 
8-1 to 8-5. And I think it went from 8-1 to 8-5 on a grand slam. Like it was like that. Or a three-run homer. It was quick. Um, and yeah, suddenly Santana like, hit a three-run homer. You're right. That's right. A three-run homer to make it 8-5. And it was quick that, that, that they came back. And I was like, all right, suddenly we got a game here. Then it was 9-5. You know, Toronto actually scored a run in the seventh. And I thought, all right, there's, they just can't blow a four-run league, could they? And then listen, listen to this. So Church had just ended, and I'm hanging out, talking to my two buddies, Scott and Jay, and um, their wives were there. And we're just chatting about a bunch of different topics and stuff. And all of a sudden, my, my, my watch goes off, and it's 8-8. Or no, I'm sorry, 9-9. Nine, nine. And I said, what in the world just happened? How is that even possible? And I went to my phone and I saw that, you know, they had that bloop double, if you will, that scored two, you know, three runs with two outs. And um, like I said, a game of inches earlier in baseball. And then I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew I wanted to get to a TV and watch the end of this game. And Seattle pretty quickly scored in ninth. They got that double from Frazier and it was like, all right. I don't think Toronto's going to score a run here. I hope they do because I like extra inning games, but I think I think they just snatched away, you know. And Toronto's got great fans and a great baseball, um, you know, home base. But Toronto just, you know, got pickpocketed, if you will, <laughs> and Seattle got out of there and stole a game, <laughs> and uh, and they did it in the craziest way you could do it, coming back from seven down. So yeah, I watched. Some of it, Church took priority. I came back. I, I saw, you know, that last inning, very last inning, and that was overlapping with the Mets game starting and then the Cardinals right after. So, yeah, Saturday night, though, I was – once I got back from church, I was glued in front of the TV with my iPad having the Cardinals game on. The big TV had the Mets game on. And, you know, that was a better night, at least for me as a Mets fan. Uh, we won't <laughs> talk about Sunday. Or if you want to talk about Sunday – Yeah, we- well, let's lead into – we'll talk about the Mets now. Okay, yeah. so Jason – we didn't really formally introduce you this way, but you're a lifelong Mets fan. Since 1983. So there you go. Longtime fan, a lot of hard years. This is the first time the team had been made the postseason since 2016, which they only yeah. got one game that year. Yeah. And then the year before that, they had the nice run to the World Series. Daniel Murphy turned into Babe Ruth against the Cubs. And um, I was at one of those. That. Yeah, I was at one of those games. That was uh, <laughs> not fun on the Chicago side of things. But Chicago I was at one of those games too. I was at game number two at City Field for that NLCS that year. Oh, sweet! So. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good year for the for Mets fans. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, it felt like a great year for Mets fans this whole season. I really just want to get your take on what happened. I mean, really, this was an outcome that I was surprised by. I wouldn't say I was shocked by it considering what happened a week ago i really was concerned my one concern actually two concerns was how would degrom pitch yeah and how would scherzer pitch i i was more concerned about degrom than i was scherzer and that ended up being flip-flop because uh degrom like we said he gritted through that outing he pitched well enough for them to win that game and then scherzer ended up being the guy who just got shelled that was his uh i mean he gave up seven runs yeah. it was yeah, it was rough. And then um, my other concern, though, was when you lead a division for 178 out of 182 days of a season or however many days it was, and then all of a sudden you have this where you just lose it. I felt like that series in Atlanta last week, something that I was thinking about was how do you recover from this from a morale standpoint? 
Was that something that you think played a factor in this series? And I guess I just, I'm going to let you take the wheel and vent. This is a therapy session for you, Jason. This is, this is needed, needed therapy here, Jack, <laughs> because uh, I don't know as a fan, if I've was more down and disappointed over a series in my forties, I'll just say in the last 10 years, than I was when the Mets got swept by the Braves. Um, and so I'm going back, you know, a week and a few days. And I was really excited for that series. The Mets had a one-game lead going in. I said, if they can just win one, it's going to be tied, and they get the tiebreaker. And they have set it up just like they did with the first three games in the wild card to have DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett pitch, your three best pitchers who've been pretty good all year. Uh, minus a couple hiccups here and there. And the Braves are good. Like, all I've been saying all along, and I said this, I think you can go back and look at Twitter in August. I said, you know, they had went on that ridiculous, crazy run of like 40 and 8 or whatever they were out of 50 games. And I said, listen, I don't think anybody's talking about this team right now because it's the dog days of summer. And if unless you're a baseball fan, you're not really paying attention. I said, but the Braves are the defending World Series champions and nobody wants to face them. Trust me on this. Nobody wants to face them in the playoffs because they are dangerous. Top to bottom, they are loaded. So I'm very aware of how good the Braves are. I just thought the Mets were good, as good, I won't say better, but as good as them and had built up enough of a lead and had shown in some games early in the year. I mean, the Mets played a five-game series against Atlanta in early August. So Atlanta's in the midst of their run, right, in early August. And the Mets beat them four out of five. And they beat them pretty good. They beat them on good pitching, timely hitting. And I thought, all right. And that, at the end of that series, the Mets had bolstered their lead from back from, I think it was two or three up to seven games. Uh, and then the Mets played decent baseball the rest of the way, but the Braves just continued to pound. And I mean this, pound the bad teams. The Mets were not pounding the bad teams. They were beating some of them, and there was a moment way before this Brave series with the Mets where they got swept at home by the Cubs. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and that was a series that was unnecessary. And I mean that as a fan. Like, that's just not acceptable. You don't get swept by a team. And, and listen, the Cubs, they're fans. They're awesome. The Cubs had no business going Cubs in. are not good this year. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Yeah, they, they went on a household sale of all household sales the last two years. So... There's no way the Cubs had any business going into City Field in early September. Games that the, the Mets had to win. These aren't games that you just take for granted. And sweeping them. And to me, that's the reason why the Mets didn't win the division. Yes, they should have played better the last three games. They had it there right in front of them, and they folded, and they choked. And they got swept by the Braves. The Braves took it, and the Mets didn't win it. But when you're losing two out of three at home to Washington – and you're getting swept by the Cubs. These are There's all also Pittsburgh series. I remember watching them lose a game or two to Pittsburgh down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, they swept Pittsburgh at home, but at Pittsburgh they lost I think two out of three or at yeah. least one of the games. Yeah. And and you're thinking to yourself, these are games they need to win. And if you watch Atlanta, they didn't lose any of those games. So again, you mentioned therapy. This is therapy because I was invested in this Mets team from from an early, early, well, the second they got Scherzer, I thought, well, they got a shot. Now, you're in the same division as the World Series champions, so you're not likely to win the division. It turned out 
I was right. Just not the way I thought that they would be doing it. But I thought they have a good shot here of probably making a wild card and really, you know, giving some teams some fits. Health was a factor. They didn't have DeGrom for four months. They didn't have Scherzer for about two months. And they had some nagging injuries here and there. The Sterling Marte late. Um, Escobar was hurt for a while. Uh, Their bullpen stayed healthy. They were kind of fairly consistent. And Diaz was lights out. And they still won 101 games. So I even put this, you know, in a text to my daughter this morning. She's a Mets fan with me. And I'm like, so sorry for her. (laughs) She followed in my footsteps. She's like, because she doesn't understand. She's like, Dad. That was so sad last night. It was so sad. And I said, I get it. I said, but be thankful they won 101 games and made the playoffs because that doesn't happen that often with the Mets. I said, but it is very Mets to make the playoffs win 101 games and then lose the way they lost. And that's what bothered me about this series with the Padres. It wasn't that they lost in three. Padres are a good team. And if they had Tatis, like I think they might be the favorite. Just, just my thinking out loud here with everything they have, but they're really top level team and a good foundation, obviously really good pitching. And they didn't even have to use their bullpen much against the Mets, but they, they beat them seven, one and they beat them seven, nothing. Was it seven, nothing or six, nothing last night? I gave up at six, nothing. Uh, it was six, nothing. Yeah. yeah six. Nothing. It was a one hitter. So they beat him. Alonzo in the fifth inning. That was the one hit. Yeah, great job, Petey. I mean, <laughs> Alonzo's my guy, by the way. I love that man. I love I thought he had Over a here. phenomenal season. And I every time I watch the Braves re-sign one of their young pitchers to long-term deals, like they did today, um, with their rookie pitcher, I think, why in the world are the Mets not locking up Alonzo right now? Yeah. Why in the world aren't they locking up McNeil right now? And they didn't do this with Nimmo. They didn't do it with DeGrom. I mean, they kind of did. You know, they're losing. They're going to lose Diaz. Like, you should lock these guys up once they start showing talent. And the Braves are doing something that you just don't normally see. Yeah. The Braves are setting a blueprint that I think teams should. Every team should try to copy that. I think every team is going to, uh, to do their best. I mean, you kind of saw it with. Tatis last year, and I know he's a different situation, but they gave him $300 million yeah. after a year and a half of playing. And I was like, wow, that's so young to, to throw you know, your whole entire you know, fortune at over the next 10, 15 years. But the Braves aren't doing that, but they're doing similar things to that. They're saying, okay, you're a pitcher who's clearly shown your top level. You're going to probably win rookie of the year as far as pitching goes. Here's seven years and 80 million or whatever. Yeah, he, I think Strider got six years, 75. So. Right. So he gets 75 million, Strider gets six years. You're about four of those or five of those are an arbitration year, right? Anyways, uh, so he wasn't going to hit free agency until year six, anyways. They said, we're going to give you more than you have to go through arbitration. All this. We're going to give this to you. It's guaranteed. Your last year, you're going to make something like 30 million. And if you bet on yourself and you go, become a Cy Young pitcher, you're going to make your 300 million on the back end of that. And if you struggle, well, we, we still invest in you and believe in you and you're going to get your money. I think it's wise business moves. It's not killing the bank for Atlanta. And I wish that teams like the Mets and the Yankees and some of these big spenders, the Dodgers would look at that blueprint. I don't think they will. I think they still panic. And I think you're going to see it this off season. Somebody's going to panic, probably a team like San Francisco or the Angels and go and give 300 million 
to, you know, Aaron judge or to, you know, Trey Turner or somebody is going to get ridiculous numbers and amounts of money. But the Mets, uh, you know, to go, to bring it back, I think the Mets are, are going to be, um, okay. They have a lot of free agents. They got a lot of questions. You got to deal with the Grom. You got to deal with Diaz. You got to deal with Nimmo. You got to deal with four of your st- five starting pitchers being free agents, or at least three of them, because they can pick up Carrasco's, um, you know, ye- extra year, I believe. And I think they'll do that. Um, but they got a lot of question marks and they got young talent, though, too. You know, David Peterson, is he, would you just throw him into your starting staff next year? You know, is Tyler McGill going to stay healthy enough? And is he a starter? I think he is. Uh, do you do you try to find a closer, you know, from among the ranks of who's still there? Um, does McGill become your closer? You know, because guys have gotten starters and made them relievers and they've gone on and had successful moments. Um, who's going to play center field next year? You know, uh, Starling Marte is 35 next year. So are you? he got two more years with him because you signed him. Can he still be as good? Can he stay healthy? You know, McNeil's still there. Alonzo's still there. Escobar's still there. And then you got your young guys, Brett Beatty and, and Francisco Alvarez, who I think will be their starting catcher next year. And you still have the DH, so you can get some pop there. They just have a lot of questions. I'm still, as a fan, though, it's, it hurts that they got one hit. Yeah. You don't get one hit in a game three. To me, that's that's dominance, you know, from the pitching side, but that's also just you didn't come come to bat in that last game. You needed to do that. You need to do something else. Um, you got to check out the pitcher to make sure he's not putting something on the ball. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I see, I was watching Twitter and I see why they did that because there was, it was a glistening in his ear and he was, his spin rate was higher than it normally is. And so it was like, well, I guess if you're down four, nothing, you might as well, or six, nothing, you might as well have him checked out you know, try anything at this moment. I felt like it was a little Bush league. I hated that the Mets did that because they, it was almost like they just didn't want to accept the fact that they were getting beaten yeah. badly. Um, and after all they went through for the whole year, but it doesn't matter if he was cheating. They had one hit. They couldn't hit the ball yesterday. And honestly, in the games, the big games that they've lost throughout the year, specifically that Brave series and even this past weekend, they're hitting. It wasn't it's the pitching was, you know, it's like, oh man, Bassett and Scherzer need to pitch better, but they need to score runs with that lineup. And they just they only did it on Saturday night. So all right. Jason, we only the got a few minutes out. here. The doctor yeah. is out. My therapy session is over. <laughs> and I'm Thank sorry you. I went so long with that. So. No, you're good. We only got a few minutes here. So let's uh, try to run through a couple of predictions here. Let's we touched it. on every series. Okay, so we've got the Padres and the Dodgers in. I think this is going to be a better series than the other one in the National League. I think there's a little more animosity between these two teams. I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. However, I have to favor the Dodgers here, right? You just got to do it. Their lineup is the best lineup in baseball, just top to bottom, and what they can offer and what they throw at you. Their their pitching is really good, really deep. Their bullpen's a little suspect. I'm a little concerned about their bullpen if it gets into late in the game and it's close. You know, Kimbrell has struggled this year. I think he even was taken out of the closer spot. So when you look at their bullpen, I think that's the one place that they're vulnerable. Uh, Actually, think- starting pitching is interesting. You mentioned that because yeah. you, you've got Kershaw and Urias, and then Gonsolin has not pitched much over the last month yeah. or so. Sure. And then after that, you've have, you have Haney and Tyler Anderson who have not pitched in the postseason before. So 
but I had good years, but had good years, had great years, yeah. career years. So there are some, it's not like the, the Dodgers team that we've kind of looked at as in the past as just an incredible postseason team. They were an incredible regular season team. Let's see how it translates. But they can the score. Jack, they, they can, can score a lot of runs. You too, yes. which is why I think I favor them over San Diego. I mean, I, I know what I just saw with the Padres against the Mets, and I think there's confidence there with San Diego. Like, oh, we just beat Scherzer and DeGrom and Bassett. What are the Dodgers throwing at us? Okay, they're yeah. throwing at us, Urias and, um, and Kershaw, and then who else? It's five games, not three. We can, we can hang with these guys. I just think the firepower of the Dodgers is going to be too much. And I'll say Dodgers in four just to just to give the Padres maybe one game. And it's funny you say that. I think the Padres just threw their best pitcher last night, which yeah. well, I would have. He won hit the Mets. <laughs> yeah, I would have gone Musgrove game one. I've never really trusted Darvish in big games. He came, He was able to grit through and he ended up, you know, the first couple innings, the Mets were on him. And then I think when they got a comfortable lead, he was able to uh, lock them down. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, Blake Snell wasn't great. So I think, you know, I, I don't give San Diego a heavy pitching edge. Mike Clevenger hasn't been exactly what they were hoping he would be when they traded for him. It's a good rotation. I don't think it's a great rotation. I don't even know if you Darvish is pitching tomorrow because he'd be on three days rest. Right. So I'd be It'll real be Clevenger, curious. I think. Clevenger in game one. If they can somehow survive and steal that game, I think now they have a little bit of an advantage, uh, which they always would if you're on the road stealing a game one. But uh, I just think the Dodgers are very well rested. They're seasoned. They, all those guys have postseason experience like no team ever. Uh, but that's why baseball is awesome. You know, surprises yeah. happen. And that's, you know, that could happen in Atlanta and Philly as well. I also will say Dodgers in four. We've got the last one, this other division rivalry. Thankfully, they've given us their probable starters for tomorrow because we didn't have that on the National League side. We just kind of have to draw our own conclusions. But we've got Max Freed taking the hill against Ranger Suarez. Yeah. I just don't think that Philly can put up a fight after using their top two pitchers. I don't think they have the rotational depth. Uh, Kyle Gibson... He's been shaky down the stretch. There are some other guys in that rotation. Like I couldn't even I, I would have to think about who else they would throw out there. Zach Eflin looked a little shaky at the end of those both those games. Um, I don't think and then the other thing that concerns me about Philly is that they while they stepped it up and they played good defense in that series against St. Louis, and they really impressed me in that regard. Yeah. I don't trust them in the field. I think the like you touched on this earlier. I think the Braves are playing better baseball than anybody right now. Braves are my World Series pick again. Uh, I hate to say that, uh, not to world, not to win it all necessarily, but they're my National League World Series team. Um, I think they'll beat the Dodgers, and I think that um, if the Padres somehow win, I think they beat the Padres pretty easily. Uh, I think Houston's my World Series champion this year. Uh, I think Houston's going to get Atlanta. They missed out last year. I think they'll have a chance to get them this year. It's hard to beat a team two years in a row in the postseason. It's very hard. It's very hard. And then Houston would have home field because they have the better record. Last year, I think Atlanta – no, Houston had a home field last year as well. So, um, But what I'll say about this series is Philly and Atlanta know each other really well. Philly was one of the few teams that really gave Atlanta – Atlanta won the season series, but Philly – played a lot of close games against the Braves. And and if 
somehow, some way, Bryce Harper can get hot. And he started to he had a homer yeah. on Saturday. And I thought, oh, they don't want him to get hot because no. <laughs> he hasn't been doing really anything in the second half since he came back from injury. He's been okay. If he can get hot, that lineup changes considerably. And Schwarber at the top is such a unique leadoff hitter because he can just hit three homers in a game and, it, and not even blink. Uh, I still think Atlanta sweeps them. That's just my opinion. I think Atlanta's going to beat him in three. Uh, I just think they're a better team overall. Um, I think their lineup, their starting pitching, their bullpen, even their guys that they're bringing off the bench, you know, late in games. I, I've watched Atlanta way more than I probably would have preferred because of the way that the, you know, this <laughs> Mets Atlanta battle was in the division. And they're just awesome. If they lose, the only thing that could beat Atlanta, I think, is their youth. Even though they won the World Series last yeah. year, they're a young team. Freddie Freeman isn't there this year. Um, they did replace him with with Olsen, but they're they're a young team with um considering that if one guy or two guys has a bad, you know, game or whatever, it could affect their starters are younger too, other than um Morton. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, Horton or Morton. Morton, Morton. Uh, <laughs> other than Morton, they're young. I think overall, and that could be the only disadvantage, although they just won a World Series. So you're saying, oh, Romano, they won a World Series. I get <laughs> it. But I'm just saying that the, the youth, like it, it, Philly may not have as much experience, but they're more, I think, veteran laden as a team when you think about their guys. Ranger Suarez, though, I saw him in person against the Mets back in August. He's got good stuff. He does. And I don't know. The Braves hit lefties pretty well. I would not be surprised if Ranger Suarez kind of teams those bats a little bit. And I do think, this is the last thing I'll say, I think momentum carries into these short series. Philadelphia just played two games. Atlanta hasn't played in a week. I think that has something to do with it. I would not be surprised if the if the Phillies stole one in Atlanta. But I'm not holding <laughs> my breath. I still think the Braves sweep them. I'm going to say Braves in four. Okay. But I'm actually going to take up one game. Okay, I'm I'm giving them one game, but I'm actually going with a different angle. I think what's going to happen is they're going to get uh, Nola or Wheeler on the hill in Game Four at or sorry Game Three at Citizens Bank Park, and they're going to win one in front of their home fans. It'll be their first playoff game that they've won in front of their fans since 2011, and that'll give them something. You know, you, you, you'll be happy. Game, who starts Game Two for Philly though? I don't know. I mean, is do it you, Gibson? Do you pitch them? Do you pitch? Is it Gibson? And I like Kyle. I've known Kyle a while. Is it Wheeler on three days rest? Or no, it wouldn't Might even be. be three days rest. It's be game two is Wednesday, right? So it'd be five yeah. days. That's where we'll start. Is Wheeler on yeah, game so two? Yeah, so he went. So he had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So yeah, they could go to Wheeler and Nola. So you got Suarez, Wheeler, Noah, in Nola. Game, Nola in game one, two, and three. I think okay. they'll win. I'll give them one of those games. I could, like, too. I could, too. In game four, they could bring Suarez on short rest. They could start Gibson and have a bullpen game. Um, well, I, I don't know if I want a bullpen game if I'm a Phillies fan. I don't think I would. It's true. They <laughs> blew three games this year against the Mets. I mean, that's what bothers me, too, as a Mets fan. This is the last thing I'll say. Yeah, when go for win, it. You win. I think they won 14 of 19 against Philadelphia this year. They went 14 and 5. And Philly's still playing and the Mets aren't. Like, this just, ah, oh, now the Phillies have something on the Mets. The Braves certainly are always going to have something on the Mets. It's like, geez. And the Yankees <laughs> do as well. 
Um, yeah, that's, that's what makes losing, I think in the next day, still a little bit of a sting, but, um, yeah, I, I think the Braves are just, I think they're the best team. I think they're the most dangerous team. I think they're the hottest team. The Dodgers have just kind of coasted in a different way. Whereas the Braves like had to turn it on and they yeah. won those big, big games down the stretch against the Mets. That home crowd was rocking. So yeah, I'm going Braves and Astros and we'll pick Astros to win it all for the whole. All right. Very good. I think we're going to see that Braves Dodgers. Uh, this would be part four now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think these are the two best teams. They've been the best two teams in the National League for the last five years, and it's going to keep going for a little longer, unfortunately, for you as a Mets fan. I think your owner needs to go out there and buy you a nice gift this offseason. Go get Aaron Judge and uh, put you in a better mood. I don't even know if Aaron Judge is the answer, if I'm being honest. I mean, obviously, you want a bat like that. Um, but but where isn't you- that the kind of move where you're just like, yeah, take that, Yankees. We're stealing. That would be the only nice thing. Is yeah. the steal Aaron Judge away from? I, <laughs> I I think if Aaron Judge ever left the Yankees, he'll go out to the West Coast where he's from. Yeah, and go play with San Francisco or the Angels or somebody like that, or even the Dodgers. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's gonna be good though. Like I said, I love the playoffs, and you know, I, I put my allegiances aside. I'm just looking for great games, great moments, and the playoffs never disappoint. So. Well, Jason, I want to give you a chance to plug everything that you're working on with Sports Spectrum. And then I know you do some other uh, personal speaking engagements as well. So why don't you give us a little rundown of how we can check out and follow what you're up to over there? Yeah, thanks, Jack. Uh, Sportspectrum.com. I'll just start with that. That's the website for our content. It has our podcasts. It has the show that I host, Sports Spectrum's podcast. We have Al Horford on today's podcast, by the way, from the Boston Celtics. Pretty big name there. Uh, we have our magazine, which you can see a little bit of behind me on our on our my left shoulder, uh, which is a quarterly magazine. It's a great, I think it's the best thing we do at Sports Spectrum. And then our website has content that's updated every day. And if you want to go kind of in a different angle of sports stories, well, at the intersection of faith, this is this is what we do. It's what we get to do. And I think the website is the best place to go for all that and sportspectrum.com. And of course, our social media channels for me, just check out social media, you know, give me a follow there and you'll see a lot of sports spectrum content. But if you're ever interested in me sharing or speaking, you know, I've written a couple books and sharing a bunch of different topics during my time at ESPN. I'd love to hear from you. And if there's opportunities to collaborate, that'd be amazing. And do you want to tease any big episodes that you have coming up later this month, potentially? Yeah, for baseball fans, they'll like uh, on the 17th, we have Jeremy Affeld coming up, the former Ooh. Francisco Giants pitcher. Yeah. And he shares some pretty crazy stories, including one regarding Mr. Chase Utley and him in the league championship series against Philadelphia. I think that was 2010. He doesn't hold back, even though we're a sports and faith podcast. He doesn't hold back on his his thoughts on that game. Great storyteller, though, a great guy. So we have Jeremy Affeld. And then on the 24th, we have Sean Casey, who's oh, uh, you know with yeah. MLB Network and just one of the great people in baseball. And you know, if you ever want to have somebody share stories of their time playing baseball, Sean Casey is number one on my list. And so when we were able to get him, and he's going to be talking about a great ministry that he's involved with as well. But we started out with some baseball stories and you know, that's the week of the league championship series going into the world series. And he has amazing 
stories of his few runs that he made in the postseason. And I mean, honestly, all I had to do was ask him a question in, in a very short way and then just let him go. You tee him up. That's all. It's speaking of baseball. You put him on the tee and you <laughs> let him hit. And uh, and he was the best. So we got Sean Casey and Jeremy Affeld for baseball fans. And that's going to be, I think, really fun for people to listen to. Yeah, Casey's line on MLB Network, he's always like, that guy's doing it. He's doing it. <laughs> and he's doing it well. Right, yeah. that's right. Well, Casey was great. I mean, he is just such a passionate guy. I mean, he could have been talking to, you know, uh, a high school junior who's doing a project, and he would be just as passionate as if he was talking to, you know, Bob Costas or one of the legends in baseball. That's just who he is. And uh, and he also calls me by my last name. That's a small thing. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> I, I like when guys, he's like, Romano, you're the best. Great job. Thanks for having me on. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like when guys call me by my last name. So Casey did that and he, he made me, uh, he made me smile. All right. Well, Romano, thank yes, you for sir. coming on. This was great. Thank we're you. Gonna Vita. To, we're going to have to do it again. Uh, sometime when I am a, given a chance to watch some football, uh, when the season ends, maybe we'll circle back or maybe Let's it's next it. year, but we'll do another one of these at some point. We'll go a little deeper into faith at that time. Whenever thank you, you want. so much for coming on and uh, yeah. Anything else? You no, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you keep doing a great job. I love what you're doing with Sports Illustrated. So um, keep up the good work. And anytime you want me back, just let me know. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jack. All right, y'all. That concludes today's episode with Jason Romano from Sports Spectrum. It was a lot of fun having him on. I'm sure we'll talk with him again. And I hope you guys will go and check out the work that they're doing over there. Go to sportspectrum.com, subscribe to their podcast, the September. Sports Spectrum podcast, and they have some other podcasts on their network as well, as Jason alluded to. Uh, great conversations with Christian athletes, um, stuff that I think you guys would really enjoy. Um, so it, that is our show for today. If you guys enjoyed it, make sure you hit subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jack Vita Show. And you will never miss an episode. We're going to have more content coming out over the rest of the month. A lot of playoff talk as well. We're going to hopefully have some former players on. I do not have a guest lined up for next week quite yet, but it should be should be a good one. I'll tell you that. So make sure you guys are all subscribed and check out our work over at Fastball, Google Sports Illustrated or SI Fastball. And I think I've written now over 280 pieces over there. I'm getting close to 300. So make sure you guys are 300, by the way, in like six weeks, seven weeks. So make sure you guys all check that out. We're going to have more great content coming soon. And until then, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs> <laughs>